0: Hi, this is John Wesley Ship and you're listening to On Screen and Beyond.
1: On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zimrak. Welcome to episode 40 of On Screen and Beyond, and our guest on this show is John Wesley Shipp. He was the Flash on TV in the early 90s. He was the father of Dawson on Dawson's Creek, as well as playing a wide variety of characters on several soap operas, everything from a really nice guy to a whacked out crazy killer. John Wesley Shipp is going to be here and we talk with him for a while. You've got to enjoy that interview. So stick around for that. And in fact, you know, um, it was so much fun talking with John. Let's get right into the rest of the show so we can get to that interview. We're going to start off, of course, with Remake Madness right here next on On Screen and Beyond.
2: Up and try again. Well,
1: Remake Madness, it looks like Dante's Inferno is about to be remade by Universal Pictures. And, you know, there's been several versions of that film, and this one is being touted as based on the video game. All right, so, so much uh, for references to the literary classic, but um, that's what they're doing. And 1943's I Walk With a Zombie is headed for a remake, so watch out for that one. A little... Sci-fi, horror, classic movie there back in 1943. And uh, get out the duct tape and the paper clips because MacGyver is in the early stages of being remade into a big screen film. And there's no word yet who will play MacGyver, but we'll see. And let's see, one other thing. Stephen King's It may move from the small screen to the big screen, courtesy of Warner Brothers. We'll keep you updated on that one. Coming up next, we're going to be looking at upcoming movies right here on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming movies, well, Ellen DeGeneres will star as Mother Nature in an upcoming on-screen appearance for Walden Media. The film plot is about Mother Nature coming back to Earth for the first time since it was created. So it's uh, going to be a comedy with Ellen and should should be a good movie. And uh, The Beach Boys, remember that? Wouldn't it be nice? Well, now it's going to be made into a movie by Disney. Well, maybe not. They're, maybe they're not taking it from The Beach Boys, but it is the title of one of their songs. Anyways, it's about uh, two boys who are thrown 20 years into the future, and they find out their plans to run away don't turn out like they had planned and of course like i said it's a disney film and one other thing a biopic about john lennon called nowhere boy will be headed to the big screen and that's coming to you from the weinstein company and uh, that's going to have a look at his early years and that's about it for upcoming movies coming up next sequel city right here on on screen and beyond Sequel City, well, it looks like word has it that there may be another Fast and Furious. What is it, 29 or something? No, no it's, I think it's number 5. Uh, anyways, it's in development, and uh, we'll keep you posted on that. And according to Clive Owen, the star of Inside Man, a script is on the way for Inside Man 2. And we've mentioned that before, but uh, this one comes from Clive Owen, so uh, it's probably a good thing. And word has it that uh, all the key people will re- be returning that were in the first movie. Updates are going to c- come your way as soon as we get them. And let's see, writers are working on a sequel to Taken which starred Liam Neeson. And uh, it also looks like Spider-Man 4, which we've talked about of course, now has a release date of May 6th, 2011. Of course, everything is subject to change and that could, you know, that date could change and everything, but it looks like right now May 6th, 2011 is when they're looking for Spider-Man 4 to come out. That's about it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen to Beyond, TV on DVD. <laughs> TV on DVD. Well, April 7th will bring us uh, more lying, cheating, and deception as Dynasty the 4th season volume 1 comes to stores. Now, that's a I I I've always in my reviews if you look at our reviews on the TV's, uh, you know, I, the, the acting, some of the acting in that show was very very bad. And, you know, the other ones that were good were way over the top. But it was always a guilty pleasure that everybody in America seemed to be going crazy over back in the 80s. So, uh, you know, it's a, uh, like I say, it's a little overboard, but, uh, it is a, a, a good show. So that's going to be coming on April 7th. April 14th will bring you Knott's Landing, Season 2. Uh, it, of course, that's a lot like Dynasty, that type of thing. As well as Wings, the eighth season. And the final season on DVD. So that could be coming your way. So stick around for that. And let's see. On April 27th, Dallas Season 2 will strike it rich once again. And also, Hawaii Five-O, the sixth season starring Jack Lord, arrives in stores. So stick around for that because uh, that's uh, Hawaii Five-O. Jack Lord, always a a good show. And let's see. One other thing. My Own Worst Enemy comes to DVD on April 21st and it features of course Taylor Lautner as the son on the show and uh, you can check out two interviews that we had with Taylor separate interviews in our podcast rerun section of our website onscreenandbeyond.com so check it out and you can find out a lot of information about Taylor Lautner and that's about it coming up next movies on DVD right here on On Screen and Beyond
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDIC.
1: Coming out on DVD, it looks like on March 24th, Moscow Chill arrives on DVD. It's about a computer hacker in Russia trying to commit a bank heist. Also, on May 19th, look for Tom Cruise in Valkyrie. And that, of course, like I said, is coming out on May 19th. And The Uninvited waits for you to invite them onto DVD on April 7th. And also, uh, Adam Sandler, Bedtime Stories, comes to DVD. So, check those out. And that's about it now for Movies on DVD. We'll have more, of course, coming up on the next episode of On Screen and Beyond. But next, we're going to be sitting back and talking with none other than The Flash. Also, some people might remember him as Mitch Leary on Dawson's Creek. He was the father of Dawson. Or you might remember him from soaps, because he's been in several soaps, including All My Children and uh, uh, just uh, so many of them. He won two Emmys for being in soaps. and uh, He was uh, was everything from a a, a whacked-out crazy killer Uh, To uh, the nice guy So you know he's done everything And right now he's on On Screen and Beyond Next right here So stick around Yesterday on On Screen and Beyond has won two consecutive Daytime Emmy Awards for his work on As the World Turns in 1986 and on Santa Barbara in 1987. He also has gained notoriety for portraying the superhero The Flash and for playing Mitch Leary on Dawson's Creek. It's John Wesley Shipp. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be here. John, we've got a lot of things to talk about, uh, but one thing I noticed is that you've had the opportunity to play such a wide variety of characters, I mean, good, bad, and everything else. But uh, how did it all start? What made you want to become an actor?
0: Well, actually, I started in music. Um, oh, really? I started studying yeah, piano at the age of five. My first piano teacher had to teach me the alphabet before she could teach me the <laughs> piano. That was kind of my grandfather's. Uh, dream was for my sister and I to study music, and then it progressed into, uh, singing. And and then I went to Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana, first in the opera theater department, and then I switched my major to theater. And then, uh, and then I dropped out and moved to New York after doing a a summer of theater in Holland, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And that was the the beginning of the profession, what I call the professional career, which is the exclusion of anything else, began. When I got, um, well, I had done a, a movie, actually it was the first made-for-TV movie Showtime had ever done. It was an adaptation of Tom Irons' The Dirtiest Show in Town. They did a Best of Off-Broadway series, and I did that. And then the following month, I was cast as Kelly Nelson, and that was January of 1980, uh, in Guiding Light.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I had seen on the Internet that your first one was actually a episode of... Fantasy Island, is that true?
0: No, I had I I had already my very first television appearance after being in New York for a couple of years and doing, you know, off 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 Broadway mm-hmm. you know, and <laughs> trying to get agents to, you know, notice me.
1: Yeah.
0: Um was I had a part on one life to live and I was very excited. And uh basically it was an extra I didn't know how these things worked, so yeah. you know, the whole it was right before Christmas and the whole family got together, and all you could see, as it turned out, well, I wore my own sweater, and that's how you knew it was me. It was below the neck and above the waist, but my sweater went walking proudly through that shot. (laughs) My family knew who it was. Then, and I say this because, you know, there are a lot of knocks, and I say this for young actors, the second thing I got was a day player on All My Children. This was, like, 1979, and... um. I had a scene. I had lines. It was at a health club. It was great. Again, these things happen before holidays when the whole family's together. So, I went and I uh, we rehearsed it and we did the dress rehearsal. And right before taping, the director came to me and said, "I don't know how to tell you this, but the show's running long and we have to cut your scene." Oh. I was filming the scene and then going home for Christmas to watch it with everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it was my first big uh, break. But the director said, he said. I, I promise you, you'll be back. We have not heard the last from you. And,
2: uh, and years yeah, later,
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Well, no, I went home for Christmas, and then I came back. And in January, I got Kelly Nelson uh, on uh, on Guiding Light.
2: Yeah,
0: and that was the beginning of of Knockwood. You know, supporting myself as an actor in the professional career, and and I have been lucky uh, in terms of superheroes to super psychos and and it's uh, it's been a fun ride and part of that I owe uh, right after my four years on Guiding Light in which I played good guy Kelly Nelson and ran around in my Speedo and sang you needed me so um, a real good guy went on to uh as the world turns the following the year after I left Guiding Light I left Guiding Light in 84 went on world turns in 85-86 and was in a story with Julianne Moore and Stephen Weber, um, uh, and I came on as kind of the character that I played on Guiding Light. Both parts were written by Douglas Marland. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, so you thought I had come in as the answer to all of Julianne Moore's character she played, to all of her problems, this, you know, great young leading man part, and I completely got to dissolve over about six months into a psycho, just completely psychotic character. Um, they had a, uh, a stalker storyline going and a murder storyline going, and none of them, they weren't connected to each other, and nobody connected them to me. Mm-hmm. So when it was revealed that it was me, it was quite a shock <laughs> um, for people. But I got to, and that was my first Emmy, you know, yeah. uh, to show that I could i could go that that gamut and run that race. That must have been a and thrill I, to win an Emmy. It was great. It was great fun. In daytime in those days, we were getting primetime numbers. You know, that was mm-hmm. the beginning of the youth explosion on daytime.
1: Yeah. And uh, so it was, it, was fun. it was fun. Acting in soaps, do you find that difficult uh, because of the daily, I mean, remembering so many lines and everything?
0: It's not, it's, well, that was my fear to begin with. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, stapling my scenes together, pulling them out of the scripts. And I asked the actors, I said, how do you do this? They said, well, first of all, <clears throat> you, have, you have to pull your scenes. Just pull your scenes out of the script and make a little mini-script of your scenes and, and study them in order of what you do per that episode. And I soon found that that if I tried to remember words, it was impossible. If I remembered the logic or the emotional logic of the scene, the words memorized themselves now years later when i was doing the flash and we had to go into star labs and and this techno babble (laughs) yeah there's no emotional logic for that you just have to memorize it that was very difficult those kinds of lines are very difficult really yeah
1: now so you won your emmy and then the next year you come back and you get another one
0: I know. I was actually. I got a call from a very excited friend. I was a a question on Jeopardy uh, (laughs) a while ago. They said, "Who's the only actor to win consecutive Emmys from two different daytime shows?" He. It was like he was so excited because he was a real Jeopardy Jeopardy fiend. But uh, but yeah, I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, I jumped over to because that was a limited run. It came on. The character was killed. uh, By he got a crystal cylinder in the back during a rape attempt. You know, all good villains should go that way. Right.
2: Anyway.
0: Um, and then I, I went on to Santa Barbara and played Martin Ellis. It was this kind of uh jerk tennis player who uh who beat up his girlfriend and then A. Martinez threw me through a plate glass window and I had to have knee surgery, discovered I'd never play tennis again, cried and uh and got another enemy. I was actually shocked by that, because by that nomination, I didn't think...
2: Really? Mm-hmm.
0: I was in New York, back in New York. We filmed it in L.A., and, and somebody came up to me on the street and said, congratulations on your Emmy nomination. I went, Uh you, you mean winning the Emmy last year? They said, no, you're nominated again. Oh, I so said, get out of here.
1: So they don't even they let won. you know? <laughs>
0: No, I didn't know. They had, they announced it. They announced it in the press. I wasn't paying any attention to it.
2: Ah, uh, yeah.
0: Huh. Know, I had done it. And it was over, and I cataloged that away. But and I and I was certain I wouldn't win because it was a it was a guest performer category, and uh, the the category included Celeste Holm, mm. Oscar winner.
2: Yeah, Eileen
0: Heckart, um, Terence Mann from Cats. There was one other, and I i feel terrible. I can't remember who that was. But anyway, uh, everybody predicted that Celeste would win, you know. So I was doing Shakespeare in Virginia Beach and flew up to the telecast and was so depressed because the previous year my whole family had been there, and I won. I thought, this year I'm not going to win. And then when they called my name, I was
1: shocked. (laughs) Yeah, gee. And... uh... You see a lot of people jumping from soap to soap to soap, and I, I understand that must be the business, the way it goes. Is it difficult, changing character that people are so embedded with the image of you in a certain soap opera, and then all of a sudden you're on another one, and they see you as a different character. Is that difficult for for you as it is for the fans?
0: You know, and here I go back to Douglas Marlins. When he left Guiding Light and became head writer of As the World Turns, He created the character of Kelly Nelson, so it was a very popular character on Guiding Light, and the audience got to know me as a certain kind of character. He basically capitalized on that by bringing me uh, onto As the World Turns in a very similar character, real straight arrow, real good guy, you know, so I already had a... A built-in reservoir of goodwill from at least CBS mm-hmm. opera watchers. And so I brought that cachet with me, which set up the storyline perfectly because nobody was going to believe that I was the one behind this stalking business and these murders. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it set it up great. And I'll also say that that role freed me. To do, come back to daytime and do any kind of role I wanted and, 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 the most extreme case was in 92 when I was in New York doing dancing at Lunasaw on Broadway and went in with the American cast and they asked me to come on to all my children and I played this, oh, it's, it's like such an extreme guy. It was, I, I tell friends I'm still Picking the splinters out of my gums from chopping the scenery in that part. You know, I mean, beat, beat up Natalie and cried. Yeah. And she didn't love me. You know, it was great. I had great fun. Also, that character went on as a very together, very pulled together, smart-ass lawyer.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: very, just got to run rings around the characters he was in scenes with, was very much in control. And again, went all the way to, you know, I think or Carter's still, you know, in a prison for the criminally insane, you know.
1: Yeah, someday they'll pull it back. And
0: <laughs> you know, that's a character I'd love to revisit. Really? Oh, God, it was great fun. They, I mean, the focus groups on all my children were like, I, I He's so creepy. I can hardly, uh, I, I can't not tune in because I'm afraid of what he's going to do. I can hardly watch when he's on the screen.
1: <laughs> it's amazing how people get so wrapped up, you know. Of course, that's, that's because of your good acting. That's why, I mean.
0: <laughs> but I have to tell you, Felicia Bear, and I am beholding to, to her as my producer. She was executive producer. When I was there, she was a real, she treated me like a colleague. In, uh, in creating that role and the team of writers, you know, and I have to tell you, I did some stuff on that show that I thought would have been edgy for prime time. Oh, really? And they let it go on. Hmm. You know, I remember once Melody Anderson, where I'm not kidnapped and her, taking her to the houseboat. She's blind because I tried to set her, I set her house on fire trying to kill Trevor.
2: <laughs> you know, anyway,
0: so she's filming <laughs> around the houseboat. I'm, I discovered she's trying to get away, I go out to the deck, I throw her back into the cabin, take my belt off, wrap my belt around my fist and backhand her across the face with the belt.
2: <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> and then after that she's like freaking out. No yeah. she actually hurt herself on that shot because she when she went flying back into the cabin, she landed wrong.
2: Oh really? I, I
0: just came up I just came up on the internet came across that that, uh, soap opera digest where they, where they talk about, about her being injured on the set. But then the next scene, I'm like, you know, snot and tears and cry. <laughs> I just want you to love me. I mean, it was, it was extreme.
2: Yeah. And yeah.
0: they built a boat. I mean, one end of that soundstage was a huge boat on springs. Hmm. And so we would spend all day on this boat that was moving like a boat, like you're on the water. Yeah. And then, I would run to the theater to open in a tableau on dancing of Luna, so we were all sitting there very still, and I would be rocking. Was, <laughs> I was still on that boat, you know. Like the whole <laughs> I felt like it was rocking. Oh. That was a fun time. That was a really fun time.
1: So I, I take it. I uh, was one of the questions I was going to ask was the type of character you would prefer is a uh, a multi-faceted person who who's a little crazy and. <laughs>
2: Well, certainly you
0: you want to um, do do roles that are uh, challenging. Uh, those are characters are hard to play. I know as as the uh, secret admirer.
1: aren't actors like like most of us we you know always wonder how you get into that character yeah
0: well there are different techniques but in terms of emotion the, the quickest way is uh well, you recreate emotion memories and you do it by using the five senses i mean we all have the experience uh, at one time or another where you wake up on a summer morning in your adult life and they're brewing coffee downstairs and maybe it's the brand that used to be at your grandmother's house in the country or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. And and immediately, you're emotional. Yeah. All you have to do is recreate that smell or a sound of children playing on a playground. You just create that for yourself or whatever it is, the train whistle in the distance, whatever says whatever emotion it is that you're trying to get to, yeah. you recreate it for yourself. If you try to create the emotion, you're screwed. The emotion, you're screwed. But if you can find what produces the emotion in you and recreate that, then the emotion either will or will not come. I remember uh, Kathleen Cullen was once very instructive to me as a young actor on that show. She played Amanda. And uh and she had a miscarriage on the show. And in the hospital, she had this scene where she was supposed to cry. And they said, well, we have glycerin here to put in your eyes for tears. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh no, she said, either I cry or I don't cry. Huh. <laughs> where it's not going to be any glycerin on my face. And, and in one of the takes, she totally went the whole way, the whole, she recreated for herself the loss, what that would be like of, Losing a child.
2: Yeah. And
0: it was emotionally rich and full. But it was very instructive to me. I was surre- I was lucky. The soaps that I was on, we had really good actors.
2: Yeah. You know,
0: um and I learned a lot, uh, just being on set with these people who, it didn't matter to them that it was daytime. Elizabeth Hubbard was doing theater. Larry Brigman was doing theater. You know, I could go right on down the list. Mm-hmm. I mean, Eddie Davis, uh, uh, um, wrote uh, Lisa Brown, who played Nola Reardon. We did all these fantasy flashbacks, flashbacks. Well, Betty Davis was a fan of the show. Wrote Lisa Brown and said, "You got the stuff, kid." Hmm. You know, and yeah. you know, Daytime is a is a very interesting animal, uh, at, at least in the, in in the old days, and I haven't seen it recently. I don't know. I assume it's still true. Someone once said you.
1: Oh yeah, gee, and this, you know, I mean, it's not like doing one show a week; it's doing every day, every day, yeah, every
0: day. I mean, when my when my storyline maxed out on on uh, all my children, <clears throat> and uh, it was it was it was also because they tried to pack in a sixth show two weeks in a row to get ahead for I don't know what they were some some vacation that they, they were getting ready to take, but uh, I was having 40, 42, 45 pages a day. Just my scene. Wow. I mean, when, when your story hits front burner.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, you, it's, it's, it's really incredible.
2: Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and the crazier the character is, the, <laughs> the more they, they, they key in on that character, I guess.
0: You know, I ended up rupturing a vocal cord. Going back and forth, eight performances a week on Broadway, and trying to do the climax of that character. Wow! At the same time, but uh, I'll tell you, it was fun. I wouldn't trade it for anything.
2: Really? Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, um, as far as I got to talk about the Flash because um, it it only lasted a year, but it, it seems like it lasted longer because it's 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 formed a cult following more so than I guess when it was on. Um, yeah. How did you come about well, getting? We
0: could find it when it was on. I know. <laughs> you know the networks.
1: I don't know. Sometimes I wonder because you know you get start seeing it one day, then it's the next day, and then it's uh, two hours earlier or later, or it's like you just can't keep track of those things. But I'll
0: tell you what I think happened. Really, it was it was it's was sort of a perfect storm. You know, it was the most expensive show Warner Brothers had ever done for mm-hmm. television up to that point, and. Uh, Jeff Zagansky was head of, president of CBS at that time, and he was a big fan, big supporter of the show. And, you know, we spent like feature money on our pilot.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: uh, now not, not A-list feature. But right, yeah, yeah. really good. I mean, if you could get a six and a half million dollar budget in those days, 1990, you know, for our pilot, I mean, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. So, <laughs> And they did a premiere on the back lot at Warner Brothers. It was like a movie premiere with the foreign press. The the advance reviews were uniformly so fantastic that I think CBS was too confident. And so they took this show that they thought was going to be their flagship show and they threw it up against their toughest competition, which was Cosby and The Simpsons. Mm. At their peak. Yeah, that's
1: <laughs> that's tough to compete against.
0: <laughs> so they put us in a tough time slot to begin with. Even so, our debut,
1: uh,
0: uh, Jeff said to me, he said, "You know, if you maintain those kinds of numbers, we'll we'll be happy." But then we were preempted because CBS had the baseball contract; they had the World Series. Ah,
2: uh, yeah. And
0: then we came back on, and then we were preempted for the Gulf War,
2: mm.
0: the first Gulf War. Yeah. And then we came back on and our ratings, you know, were suffering. So then they tried to get us out of head-to-head competition with the Simpsons. So they put us on the half hour. Well, an hour show has never worked on the half hour in the history of television. Then they said, okay, we're going to move your night. Well, by the end of all of this, uh, which we were vaguely aware of, because once we got on that train of trying to produce that series, which was mammoth, and try to get those episodes in, on time. We were hanging on for dear life, so we were vaguely aware of what was going on with the schedule and the ratings. Our time was spent just doing it. There are still some episodes I haven't seen. Oh really? Yeah. Huh. And uh, friends will want to watch and I'll sit down and I'll go, I don't remember this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but but you know our core audience couldn't find us. I mean comic book fans were saying we can't find you and that yeah. was Kiss of Death if your core audience can't find you then how do you ever expect to build an audience now that it's out on DVD I, you know, I've been doing signings at these conventions promoting it and people will come up and say you know what it translates I sat down with my kid and said you've got it and he dug it oh yeah he come to DVD, you know so it does it has a new audience it certainly felt like more than 22 episodes while we were doing it I'll tell you
1: yeah I can imagine for you. <laughs> but but I, so how did you get the part? How did I that I
0: had, out? you know, um I had just done, uh, Never Ending Story Part 2, mm-hmm. uh, which we filmed in Ju- uh, uh, Germany in Munich and Vancouver. And I had a manager who said, uh, you need to come out to LA. And so I did. And April Webster, a dear friend, wonderful casting director, was, uh, Casting The Flash. Uh, she'd gone on to win Emmys for Lost and, you know, mm-hmm. and the same. but anyway, and they contacted my manager and he talked to me and I said, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, first of all, you know, I have no interest in running around, um, I, uh, in a pair of red tights. <laughs> you know, I, I have pretensions at least of being a serious actor and I don't, you know, some of the TV treatments had not you know, they sort of poked fun at the con. You know, they weren't really taken seriously, but they, I, I met with, they said, we just meet with Danny and Paul, Danny Bill and Paul DeMeo, and uh, and we talked about it. They said, it'll be dark, it'll be edgy, read the script. Uh, the motivation for using the powers is not to be deadly do-right, it's to avenge his brother's death, so it's a dark motivation. Um uh the suit you will not be running around in a pair of red tights. We're spending a hundred thousand dollars to build four suits. Wow. And Robert Short Productions did that. That was an ordeal in and of itself. So put all the and we're you know, we're it's not gonna be cheesy. This is our budget. And so that didn't mean I got the part. That meant that, okay, I'll come in and read for you guys. Mm-hmm. So they saw I believe they told me sixty guys for the part and then they uh whittled that down to two of us which they took to the network me and Richard Berge. and uh and then for whatever reason the decision was made to go with me richard was, was gracious enough to come and, and guest star in one of our episodes and he certainly he has a terrific career going and mm. richard's a great guy yeah and um that's how it happened
1: mm. Now, originally, and if if I'm trying to remember if this is right, uh, in 1990 there was a TV movie first, correct? That's right. Now, did 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 they know at that point they were going to next year, the following year, have it as a series, or was it a test like testing the waters?
0: No, there was too much money involved. I think I don't know what our initial order was. I think we had an order. Did we have an order for twelve? I think we had an order for the pilot, and something tells me it wasn't 12. It was more like 6. Mm-hmm. And then we got the order for 12, and then we got the order for the back 9. Yeah. Um, but uh, we knew that it was going to be... No, it was too hard. We were shooting... We, we It took us six weeks to shoot our pilot, Um in May and June, and that was before they had a cooling unit for the suit. I won't die. Well,
1: well, I was going to ask you about that. Is, uh, was the suit, uh, it, it, was it hot?
0: <laughs> it was hot. I was. A, I should have been called the sponge. <laughs> I was sweating through like two and three inches of foam latex so much that it looked like the suit was sweating, so they sprayed it with a sealant, which kept all that water inside. I would take off oh, the gloves, dude. and they would be half full of water. The hand part would be full of water. It was uh, and it was excruciating. I did not enjoy it. It, it you know
1: that part of it. Were you losing weight by, I mean, with all that water wash? Did they have to keep you pumped with water to, to you know, so you wouldn't dehydrate? Yeah,
0: yep. and in fact then they came up with a, a, a vest like race car drivers wear which I would put on underneath the suit and and in between takes, I would lean on a slant board because I couldn't sit down, and they'd plug me into an ice chest and circulate ice water through the vest, which at least would wake me up and lower my body temperature. Oh, jeez. Really. But uh, they'd be... I mean, they couldn't clean them because the foam started, you know, uh, um, uh, breaking down. Uh, so they would hang them up, two for me, two for the uh, nuts guy, and they would hang mine in my trailer and 5 a.m. the next morning it'd still be wet I'd be pulling it back on. You know, they just spray it with Lysol. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> it's pretty nasty, but, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm sure if we'd gone a second season things would have been a little bit easier schedule-wise, but, but it was outrageous. I mean, I was there 55 to 75 hours a week. Wow. Our transportation guys were... Nine day shoots per episode, and we had two units running simultaneously.
1: Hmm. Was it filmed on the Warner lot?
0: It was. It yeah. was. In fact, the uh, the big our big uh, Central City Police Station is still there. I don't know what somebody just told me what it's being used. It was used uh, uh, as uh, it's been used for several shows since then. But but it's still there. That big facade that they put up for. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was cool. But, I mean, we had we had a significant portion of the back lot. You know, we were we were a, a huge
2: show.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It so it was fun. Yeah. Now, with that big a budget, do you think that that helped or hurt the success of the show?
0: Well, I don't think anybody was. In fact, there was some talk uh, in the spring that uh, a, a recommendation had been made that the budget would be. Mm-hmm. Um
2: mm-hmm.
0: They might consider renewing it. This is what I heard, and nobody wanted to do that. That better it should end, you know. Yeah, rather than end. cut back. Yeah. But another problem we had with CBS was the oldest network. I don't know if they still are, but they were at that time. So a lot of our free in-house advertising was not hitting our target audience. Mm. It was a. That's what I mean by perfect storm. but, you know this. this the, you know, the cosmic the are I'll tell you, our advanced word being so strong, leading them to throw us into their most difficult time slot, might have been a thing that really hurt us. The old demographic of CBS. Yeah,
1: you know, yeah.
0: Hurt us. The World Series, the Gulf War, you know. I mean, yeah,
1: <laughs> everything was against you. <laughs> it was. Except it was a good show. That's, that's the, the sad thing, that, you know, a good show went down the drain because of all those mistakes that they made and everything.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I, the following year when I was in New York doing Dancing at Lunasa and and, and ended up uh, it ended up winning the Tony as best uh, play that year and uh, there was an executive high up CBS who saw me out in the lobby and he said, you know, John, he said, we killed that
1: show. <laughs> now, the cast seemed like a, a good cast.
0: but yeah, it was. Alex, uh the air was very very level nothing ruffled him we'd start shooting an episode i think we started shooting one episode at like 2 or 3 a.m. saturday morning the director was like are you guys kidding me uh but alex would roll with it i amanda had small children at that time so the long hours and the being away from her family i think was was, was particularly hard on her
2: hmm. yeah
0: yeah, that's all I did from the you know third week in August to the second week in May. It's all I did. It's all I did. Wow, there was no time for anything else.
1: Now, with all the the things that were going on on the show, as far as uh, the, the physical things, um, did you you mentioned there was a stunt man, but did you ever get hurt or anything during the show?
0: No, I had minor things. Like uh, there was one there was one episode in which I sneezed and I sneezed three times in rapid succession, and they, they had the chair on ropes and they pulled the chair back and it goes slamming into the bookcase well they didn't fasten me into the chair so they yanked the chair out and i'm like in mid-air <laughs> the chair was crashing and i end up you know and i had to have my little little things like i had to i still have problems with that elbow uh, i would have to have it periodically drained huh. um little but 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 you know i mean that's just Uh, I'm not griping about that or making a big deal about that. I mean, you know, every, every job. Right. It, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, like that. But Dane Farwell, and I always talk about Dane, he was my stuntman. And, uh, you know, I do everything up to the point where the flash gets blown backwards out of a second-story window and lands on the concrete
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: on the street below. And Dane would do it. You know, they at one point they lowered me a chain around my ankles, handcuffed into a big of uh, water, Uh and then they uh, and then I wake up and then they pull me out, put tank Dane in, and then they blow up the tank. You know, it's <laughs> wow. like. You know, he, uh, I remember once he had this big gash on all these gallons of water coming out of the loading dock, and here comes Dane, <laughs> riding it like a, you know, and then this big gash out of his hand, he didn't even want to fill out an accident report, and I was like, I went to I said, you got to, I said, you have to, I said, if there's complications or anything, or you yeah. got into a tendon, I said, come on, <laughs>
1: These
0: guys are maniacs, you know.
1: Did you ever have the feeling that, you know, I'd like to try these this stunt, don't bother with a stunt, man? Did you ever have that feeling? First of all, they would never
0: have let me do it because, because you know, I mean, if I got hurt, I mean, just draining the elbow, when I had to go and have my elbow drained, that's, you know, kerching, kerching.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah.
0: I mean, that, that, that's production time loss. Secondly, the things that he was doing, were so extreme. I mean, you know, getting up, falling off the car, doing things like that, being, I mean, you know, little things, you know, fi- you know, taking falls, whatever. But, I mean, the things that he was doing, for example, you know, that that big tank had, I used that as sort of like the signature, uh, that glass on four sides. Mm-hmm. And he's completely submerged in water, suspended by his ankles. And they blow the tank; the glass comes out, and all the gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons of water uh, washing with that broken glass, and him riding it out out of the studio, out across the loading dock. No, I, I really didn't have any.
1: <laughs> Leave that to the professionals, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. I don't blame he you. <laughs> he was a rock, Dane Farwell. He was a rock through that whole thing. I, uh, I, we were, we were. Partners in 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 creating that role.
1: Yeah, you got to hand it those stunt people. They they go through a lot. (laughs) Yes. Uh, now, as far as guest stars, one of the ones I remember the most was, of course, being a Star Wars fan, Luke Skywalker. Mark Hamill was on the show. Um, it's, uh, now, was that, that was the last show, correct? He did
0: two. One was, I think, in the first 12
1: uh-huh.
2: trickster
0: episodes, and they ended up putting those two trickster episodes together before they ever released the episodes on DVD and released it as a feature, I believe, in Europe along with was the pilot? But uh, yeah, he did one in the first twelve, and then he did the very last episode, hmm. and they were big episodes, uh, also because Danny Gilson, executive producer, directed those episodes, so we knew that we were getting all the budget we wanted. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> you know? And uh. Mark was fantastic because he was such a big comic book fan. he had a comic book store up in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he really wanted to play that part. So he, it, it, the number of hours, you know, nothing phased him. He was a ball of energy. He, he actually dislocated his shoulder in the scene where he's in a straitjacket slamming himself up against the wall of a padded cell. Uh, and he threw himself into it with such gusto. He (laughs) He wasn't padded quite enough, right? (laughs) It wasn't, no. No, not for the ferocity of his uh, interpretation.
2: It it was
0: great because he loved it. He loved playing that character. You know, when somebody has a lot of, and by that point, we're all dragon butt, you know, and so to have him come in and and, uh, and, and, and be so enthusiastic and so committed and, and willing to go the extra mile and take after take after take and yeah. never complaining of being, you know, tired. Of course he was there for nine days.
2: <laughs> but, um, you know, we
0: had literally, we, had, we would have guest stars come to me by midweek going, are you friggin' kidding me? I was <laughs> like, like, yeah, we were gonna get t-shirts made. I survived the flash. People who did eight players and you know, stars on our show? Yeah, now I loved those episodes too. I wanted Jason Bernard to come back, and everybody at these shows, a lot of people, the two episodes.
1: I don't imagine you have the costume. Obviously, that's a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> suit. But any, any, I've heard half of one of those.
0: And, and And that involved not having buildings between certain years. It's, you know, um, supposed to be retro and futuristic combinations. So we would be in search of these deco buildings and things, and that's quite often shooting in these locales. But anyway, after the last scene, which was in the suit, um, I ripped the ears off and threw them in the air. And <laughs> And Mark, of course, having the colored bookstore up in Vancouver, he was, like, crawling around gash, uh, trash cans and through cables. And like, don't let them get away. Don't let them Where are they? Where are they? Get the ears. Get the ears. <laughs> so he may have the ears, actually. I I really had no interest in, uh, in uh, having any part of, of, of the suit. I had had it with the suit. <laughs> actually, that really made it bearable, and they had told me at the time, they said, you know, only about a quarter of the episodes, at most, will be in the suit. Of course, that quarter of the episodes took
1: longer to
0: shoot. Right, yeah. And
1: and now that suit sitting in uh, uh, Orlando at Planet Hollywood probably has your DNA sweat (laughs) down in the bottom of the boots. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, listen, absolutely. (laughs) So, now, were you happy or were you sad that it was ending, or...? Well, I had left L.A. and gone back to my apartment in New York, and I was waiting. And
0: I have to tell you, I was so friggin' exhausted.
1: I can imagine.
0: I mean... Uh, By then, that certainly it was a disappointment. I mean, leading up to the announcement, I was like saying, you know thinking about doing that again for nine months mm.
2: I'm a little you know if it if it does of course I want it to go but if it doesn't
0: go that will have its own set of blessings but you know it's like anything else you know you invest that much of yourself in it and then when you're not renewed there's like you know even though part of you is hoping it won't be it's a, it's a let down
1: yeah oh yeah absolutely,
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah but then after the show ended you you went back to soaps
0: yeah, well, I went back to New York to do... uh went back to Broadway. And oh, you went on Broadway. And while I was there, they asked me to come on. It was supposed to be a two-month gig on All My Children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maniacal, that it stretched to four. And then the character went over to Loving and wreaked havoc. And then the All My Children people went to Loving and dragged me back to All My Children. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was mayhem. It was madness and mayhem.
1: <laughs> yeah, from a hero to a psycho. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now, is it a lot different doing daytime soaps compared to a primetime series?
0: Yeah, well, the difference, you've already said it, is, you know, uh forget the flash, because that was so hard. That we, was an hour of television, but we had nine-day shoots, two units running simultaneously, but that was another beast entirely. you take a show like Dawson's Creek, we had seven days um, to shoot one hour or 47 minutes of whatever it is. Right, yeah. And uh, in daytime, you're doing an hour a day. Yeah. You know, so that was... <laughs> and, and you learned in daytime to protect yourself. Like, uh, I remember once Robert Newman, we were doing a scene, and the cardinal rule was you don't cut shots. You let the director, you keep going no matter what happens. Let the director cut if it gets so bad. At one point, Robert Newman had this line, That, whatever it was, cost me 50,000 ducks, um, bucks. And we kept going and got to the end of the scene, certain that they would reshoot it. Well, they were so far behind schedule that it went on the air that way. Oh, really? (laughs) And Robert was like, understandably chagrined, but I'll tell you, I learned a lesson. If it was me, I would, it, it, right after I said ducks, it would be a string of ex- expletives. Oh shit, oh, oh, oh god, oh, I'm really sorry. <laughs> and they, they couldn't put that on. Yeah. You have to be it. You know? So you learn little ways to protect yourself.
1: Yeah. Huh. yeah. Now, you also played um, Lucky Williams on Sisters?
0: That was fun. Yeah? I didn't know how a boxing storyline on a woman's show would be treated. Yeah, it's a little different. I have to tell you, they they hired me, a boxing coach, Don Hamilton. I became very close with his family, his sons, particularly uh, Dean, uh, who also came in and did some sparring with me and was on the show. But uh, three days a week, I was at a boxing gym in Inglewood with cameras and training and, uh, you know, proper technique and stuff. And they staged three or four really good fights, culminating in this you know, make-believe championship where we had 100, 150 extras and it, you know we had a sweat box gym and they built in in, in one of the old uh, sort of warehouse uh, buildings again on Warner Brothers mm-hmm. on the back lot and it had it, it smelled you know you know what I mean by that I don't mean it literally smelled I mean when you were when you were looking at it on TV it had odor right yeah <laughs> So it was real, you know what I mean, and so I was very—I had a I had a great time with that, with that, and uh, that championship. This big guy with San Fernando tattooed across his chest was my fighting pro- opponent. Mm-hmm. He was a real boxer, and one point he kidney punched me so hard that Don stopped the fight, and he came over and he said, "Are you all right? Are you all right?" I said, "Yes, I am." But tell that guy doesn't make believe he can't hit me any harder than that. <laughs>
1: so you didn't have a stunt double on that one.
0: Oh, jeez, no.
1: Wow, that's when you needed one, right?
0: <laughs> oh, well, there was no way. Was right. no way. Yeah. You know, hiding under the suit. Yeah. Plus, I wouldn't have wanted to. I had a
2: blast with that. Oh, yeah? yeah.
0: I mean, I remember, and you know, acting is so crazy because, you know, and it was a good story. I mean, you know, it was fun. I, I I had actually done Julianne Phillips, another Julianne in my life. It was Julianne Moore on World Turn. Mm-hmm. But Julianne Phillips' very first project as an actor, Summer Fantasies, in which we were all lifeguards. And uh, I love Julianne, and she had my pod. It was kind of a main event. Yeah. We in line. Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neal. Yeah. And... Uh, and I remember after that last fight, you know, and I had a brother who had been crippled, and I was fighting a championship for him. It was very full emotionally and, and, and some comedy and stuff. So, but I remember after fighting that make-believe championship bout and all the extras had filed out, I went and sat up in the stands still in my soggy, you know, boxing shorts and whatever. And I sat up there, my gloves my tape still on my hands, and I said, well, I will never win a boxing championship ever again hmm. and there was a real poignancy to it of course I hadn't won a boxing championship but you know you go there you right. get to do all these fantastic things as one person said you know, you get to build castles in the air and move into them for a while yeah. and then the time comes with the eviction notice and it's time to go and you leave whatever part of yourself created that behind Mm-hmm. you just close that door and you walk through the next one. But it was a very poignant moment. I, I really enjoyed that, huh. that, that run. Ron uh, Cohen and Dan Litman and, and Adam Newman, uh, working with those guys on that show, was great yeah. fun. Yeah.
1: Now, when you went to Dawson's Creek, um, uh, of course, that was a long run. Uh, How did you get that part, and what intrigued you about taking it?
0: I was actually, when they when the casting initial casting for the pilot presentation, which I think was a 20- or 30-minute presentation, they did not have an order when they shot that pilot. And um, I was in Moab,
1: Utah. Oh, yes, I've David, been there.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Oh, it beautiful, it's beautiful, yes. With David Carradine, Lee Majors, Cynthia Green, Kathy Lee Crosby doing the lost treasure of dos santos (laughs) i was not available for that call um and uh when i got back i think that was it i think that wait a minute that was yeah and so um they went and made the the pilot and when they got their order they decided for whatever reason and this often happens and it has very little to do with the actors involved. They feel like they have to make a change, and it just so happened that they decided to go a different way with the dad. Now, that I've seen that actor who was Dawson's dad, and he got to do a movie with Al Pacino, so I don't feel sorry. For him. <laughs> <laughs> Al Pacino's my favorite actor. Yeah. But, um, um, but they, they were seeing uh, new dads over the course of the summer, and... Uh, uh, I oh I was doing uh, now what had happened I was shooting something else and I was I doing Soldier of Fortune then and got my nose broken I had gotten my nose broken anyway they had initially read me for the role of Mitch Leary and they had already started shooting the first episode and second the rest of the first episode in Wilmington and hadn't cast that recast that so. I went in and had a reading. The day I was supposed to go to the network, the day before I was filming, that would be the Soldier of Fortune or... But anyway, I got my nose broken. So wow. My nose was swollen. My eyes were black the day that it came time to come in for the network test. Mm-hmm. They met me out front. And they went, oh, my God. But it actually worked to my favor because I made some... Cr- I walked into the
2: room, you know, yeah.
0: and uh, I made some crack about it, you know. <laughs> And everybody laughed and and relaxed, and it actually it actually made the test go very well. But I went to the network that day. The rest of the cast and crew were already in Wilmington, and they said, "We want you to get on the plane tomorrow and go uh, and and play this part." And I was like, "Yes, wow!" <laughs> yes. So I went and I reshot the two scenes from the pilot presentation, which was the first episode, and and I met uh, first people I met. Well, I met Katie. Mm-hmm. and Mary Margaret, who were on set doing a scene the together, and uh, and then launched into that for for the next four years.
1: Yeah, do you get get to be a close cast when it goes on for that long?
0: We were really close, not only because it was that long, <clears throat> but because we were in Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So we were sequestered away from many of the distractions. Uh, yeah, and. Uh, uh, options that we would have experienced had we been in L.A. or New York.
2: Really? Yeah. So
0: we did bond, you know, and would often, you know, would take boats out to the island, uh, you know, Masonboro Island, and, and and, and um, you know, not camp, but, you know, a barbecue and play games or whatever. But the cast did hang out a lot. So you, That was you... such an easy job for me, though, And my family was in Atlanta, so quite often when I wasn't shooting, I'd go to Atlanta.
1: Oh, that made it nice then. Yeah, it was nice. And I'm
0: from the southeast, so I wasn't at all. Well, I was delighted to be back uh, in the southeast doing a series. Hmm. So
1: it was all done in North Carolina? They didn't do any scenes in L.A. or anything like that?
0: Mm, Nothing. It was all done at the Dino DiLoretti Studios, Green Gen Studios, uh, Frank Capra, Jr., uh, runs right down there in Wilmington.
1: Hmm. So you weren't in the hustle and bustle of everything else that goes on,
0: <laughs> right? And I think with such a young cast who went from being relative unknown. I mean, Josh Joshua Jackson had done uh, Mighty Ducks, I think, at that point, and James had worked with Edward Albee, uh, uh doing a play. I mean, they were not uh, unskilled actors, but they did not certainly have the kind of I mean, they became overnight sensations. I remember when these kids started signing their first autograph, and what a big deal it was for them. Well, mm-hmm. they went from nobody knowing them to being on the cover of every mag every magazine for anyone under thirty all around the world.
2: yeah, yeah,
0: you know, and it, I, and I think maybe some of the struggles and growing pains they might have experienced had they been in l a, they didn't because we were, and I'm sure the producers did not have near the headaches. Although having said that, these kids were really smart, mm-hmm. right down the line. I, I You know, there wasn't the kind of bad behavior you would hear about from other shows with young cast people refusing to come out of their trailers. When there was a problem, it was because somebody felt that something was not consistent with their character. Uh-huh. It was character-oriented, and it was plot-oriented. It was not ego-oriented. Now did not. That- unusual in a young cast.
1: Yeah. Now, being a young cast, did they know you as The Flash?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: They did? They must have been excited.
0: <laughs> yeah. James had said something nervous but my dad's The Flash.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Anybody say, where's the suit?
0: <laughs> oh, really? Yeah.
2: Well, you
0: know, I had gone on after I did The Flash. I did a couple episodes of NYPD Blue. Yeah. And uh, there was one line where my character, Roy Larson, uh, the speed freak, said something about, ah, I lost my flash money. <laughs> he had gone to Vegas and lost his flash money. I didn't know what flash money was. I guess that's the money you take with you to gamble in Vegas. So. Okay. <laughs> but the line was, Yeah, so-and-so, I had to do this and that because I lost my flash money. <laughs> I thought, okay, who's having a little joke Right, is. yeah,
1: trying to get a little, little inside joke there. <laughs> now... I've seen so many different things, but what prompted you to leave the show?
0: Well, I felt that, you know, the show changed dramatically over a four-year period. At the beginning, Kevin Williamson had assured me that we would not turn into token parents on a teen show. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that we would be, we would have subsidiary storylines, certainly, but they would be intersecting and they would be independent. In other words, whatever was playing out in the lives of the kids would have its adult equivalent uh, intersecting with it
2: Mm -hmm. in
0: our storylines. You know, the open marriage, the infidelity, the hurricane episode being a prime example. Mm -hmm. I think one of our best episodes in terms of structure and plot and ensemble and uh, where I find out my wife's cheating on me and... And, uh, and uh, Kevin got so busy as a result of Scream, and I know what you did last summer in Dawson's Creek, because it was like we used to laugh and say, you know, in, in, in Hollywood Reporter and Variety, they would map out all the Kevin Williamson's articles and then fill in around them. You know, Kevin Williamson was doing this, Kevin Williamson doing that. Yeah. And so he began to not be as present, and the decision was made. Uh, he was the creative executive producer and... Uh, Paul Stupin was the business executive producer, and, 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 and Kevin, uh, although he still consulted, basically absent, absented himself from the show after second season, and a lot of changes started happening. There was more and more of the people who basically felt that it should be a kid's show first, last, and always to go to the show, mm-hmm. and the parents were heavily de-emphasized, and... Uh, I, I think last season, and uh, out of 19 episodes that I did, I felt I made a significant contribution in about four of them.
2: Ah, uh, you know. yeah.
0: So that's tough to sit down in North Carolina, uh, <laughs> waiting week to week to read a script to discover what you're not going to be doing.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: um, so at the end of fourth season, I mean, the kids, it was Dawson's Creek. The kids were in high school. They were seniors. They graduated everybody knew there would be a sea change. You know, well, what now? We can't have a fifth year in high school. Where these kids mm-hmm. got to go to college. And they let all the adults sort uh, contracts lapse.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And, uh, and they, they wanted to renegotiate and only ask for six episodes from each of us. And I thought, you know what, it's been a great run. Uh... I'm not really interested in holding Lily, her new daughter, by that point, in the background at Parents Day at college and waving. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think I have I have more to contribute, perhaps in another avenue, you know, somewhere else. And so I set my price really high. They let the contract last. so when they came back to, I set it high, figuring that they would not need it. Um, then, as events would have it, they started shooting the first episode uh without the without our contracts being done. And uh the WB shut them down because they had no story Hmm. for the fall. Yeah. Ongoing story. They had to end so they shut down production to them to come up with a story. Paul Stupin calls me in LA, will you meet me for coffee? Long story short, he says if we give you the money you're asking, will you come back and kill the character? Well I was like (laughs) (laughs) like, (laughs) But he said I pray he said, I know you haven't been real happy. He said, We're in a bind This would, we promise you two great scripts, you know, tie up all your relationships with everybody you've worked with for the past four years. Yeah. He said, and it would give James a major storyline to work with. It would be a huge shake up, you know, and it it made perfect sense. Yeah. And you know what? They did give me two great episodes. Hmm. Uh, They were two of the best that I, that I did.
2: Yeah.
0: I felt it was. Really, the right move, the way it all worked out, yeah, because I, I, it made me feel like the previous four years had been about something.
1: Yeah, know? yeah. Hmm. Now, I've noticed that in the last few years, you've started to delve into directing. Uh, is that something you're heading into?
0: No. Well, you know, I used to think acting was hard until I directed. <laughs> um, basically, the directing that I've done, I've been asked to do uh, shows with. Young cast, inexperienced actors, because I love the process of acting. Mm-hmm. And I love the creation of, the organic, of an organic moment. Uh, unfortunately the projects that I've been asked to do have projects that either had very little money or they had people in charge of them who, you know, this very last thing that I did without calling it by name, I mean these young actors put themselves in my hands and I got some beautiful stuff and we had we had an O.D., we had drug dealer in the store. I mean, these two kids. I had one actor sobbing in a scene. he They so trusted me, they went with me. Close. And then the guy who was in charge of putting the episodes together chopped them all up, cut out all the or- organic moments, kept mm. in all the shtick. Yeah. And I've been trying to have my name taken off that project ever since, uh. successfully. But uh, I've been asked again with two of the guys that I worked with who who uh, were the most I think the most talented um, have got money for this little film, independent film they're shooting in Georgia this summer and it's called Blackbird and they want to talk to me about doing one of the roles and directing it mm. the, the, what I like to do as a director uh, you know is work with the actors you know work with the values of the scene, work with your actors break down Preconceptions of what acting is. Get organic moments going. Flesh out moments and scenes. Get them get some thinking and responding in the moment. Yeah. Um, and then work closely with the DP, hopefully, whom I have a good relationship with. Doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> and become a tug of war. Um, to, to, to evolve, you know, the shots, and you know, agree on a style, but. My work, I would say, acting coach slash director would be working with the values of the scene. That's what turns me on.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I, are there any other projects that you're going to be working on besides that one? Or?
0: I did a film, a short film called Grotesque <clears throat> in New Orleans in June, and I just saw the first cuff cut of that it's a very exciting young filmmaker out she called it in James Oliva and it was one of those shoots where very little money but everybody was on the same page and pulling together James and I were coming up with things on the spot and shooting it I play this priest with a very troubled past um, and it's very dark and very interesting it's good little short film that should be ready to start hitting festivals as soon as James can get the couple of shots that are missing and the scoring finished, which we're all pushing him to do.
2: Mm, yeah. Uh, in
0: August, I filmed a comedy with Jody Sweeton and Matt Luz and Barbara Allen Woods called Port City, which is listed on my IMDb page. They won't list a short film on, an, on your IMDb page uh, in, okay. yep. in a festival. But that's, that should be ready. Andrew Brown wrote and directed that. That should be ready to go in the next couple of months, in independent feature.
2: Yeah, wow. So
0: um, I have those two things coming. I've actually left LA for several months. My dad came out to San Jose to pastor this church, then had to have heart surgery. So I threw myself in the storage, came up to San Jose to help out with my parents who are miles and miles from home. Uh. You know, and then the church that he's pastoring lost their music director, Carla Newmark back east to work with the show that she had composed the music for. So I took over the music at the church.
2: Oh. Huh.
0: The new community of faith in San Jose. So I've been doing that and, and being here for the family and, and sort of reconnecting with, with you know, my, you know, values in terms of, you know, what what's important in life and what my center is and my creative center. And, I think great things will come out of that, but I have pretty much absented myself from L.A. for this mm-hmm. pilot season, unless there's a specific project where they're specifically wanting to talk to me. Yeah. Um, but I'm not running down to L.A. to audition and interview and go on every little thing that comes along. You know? Yeah. And I'm reaping enormous benefits from being up here. You know, my parents are remarkable people. They're active in civil rights and in the southeast and very you – know, that's a whole nother issue. People with great integrity and great, great uh, 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 spirit, and it's great being here for and with them.
1: Yeah, makes makes for a nice break too. Get get away from the hustle and bustle. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, now you're also uh, going to different conventions sometimes. I Where?
0: am. We'll see. I'm plugging in the financial cracks of not being in L.A. available.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: With these conve- with these conventions, since the flash the episodes were put on DVD in 2006, um, I've gotten calls to to appear at comic book and sci fi conventions. I'll be in at the Chiller Convention in the the weekend after Easter, mm-hmm. which is a huge three day convention outside of New York City. Yep. So I'll take that opportunity to go study with my voice teacher, go see some shows, you know, go make some
1: money, meet fans. Yeah, I think that's nice that you do that because, the, I mean, the fans don't get to meet the different actors, you know, and that's one of the functions that they can go to and, and meet people.
0: And I enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy meeting, I mean, I, some people who do these conventions, I look at them and I think, why are you doing this? You're you're miserable. <laughs> but I, I actually enjoy asking the fans what their favorite episodes are, or, you know, or having that interaction. It's You know, you don't have it when you're on a sound stage, so you can go out and meet them, and that's certainly one great thing about theater is you have the audiences right there. It's a two-way community.
1: Right. I was going to ask you how you, you know, do you like the feel of of theater, uh, you know, over, acting? on.
0: I would not say over. I would say in addition to. Yeah. It's just a different
1: animal. It just makes for a nice change, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. It's a different energy, a different requirement, what it requires from you you know, are different, certainly having the, that, that that large breathing organism out there in the dark. yeah, <laughs> While you're acting, that's affecting and impinging on what you're doing and influencing what you're doing. You yeah. know, I mean, that, that's a very live, organic thing. But I also love the intimacy that you can achieve in front of the camera, which you can't on stage when you're projecting to this
1: last row on the balcony. Right, yeah. Now, uh, John, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I mean, it, this is fascinating listening to all that you've you've done. Um, but I've got one more question. Yes. And of all the series and soaps that you've done, do you have a favorite?
0: You know, I've been asked that before. And, and as you were kind enough to point out, the roles have been varied and different. So I don't really know how to compare Douglas Cummings or Carter Jones with The Flash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or or uh the Welsh Wastrel in Dancing at Lunasa with Mitch Leary mm-hmm. you know, in nineteen thirty six with Mitch Leary in two thousand one. You know, so so I I I have been and it's an overworked word, and I'm going to use it again with misgivings. I have been blessed with the career that I've had, and I look forward to doing doing more roles. But I, I you know, I, certainly the most important roles in terms of my career, Flash was huge. It was mm-hmm. my jump from daytime to primetime. Yeah, yeah, no question. Certainly, the Douglas Cummings character opened up for me not to get stuck at being nice guy, nice guy parts. Hollywood hero. I got to win an Emmy for playing a psycho. Uh, So that was huge in my development. Dancing at Lunisa, playing a Tony Award winning play and speaking the words of Brian Friel on Broadway. By the same token, coming off The Flash and playing a drug addicted cop on NYPD Blue, which, you know, sort of blew people's minds because it was an energy that nobody associated with me or my acting. Mm -hmm. That was an important part. So if I had to pick... I would say certainly As the World Turns, Flash, NYPD Blue, uh, uh uh Dancing at Lunissa and certainly by by virtue of the fact that it went for four years, Dawson's pretty
1: Well, a lot of actors that I've talked with, they play a lot of times the same character but you've had the you know, the good fortune of playing really different characters in every single role. <laughs>
0: I have been, it has been a great ride, and I look forward to it continuing.
1: Yeah, Oh, we hope so, too, because uh, we enjoy seeing you. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it very much. It's been my pleasure. Well, I want to thank John so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, it's always fun to hear those behind-the-scenes things that are going on, uh, like... Uh, you know, he broke his nose with doing one thing and hurt his hand and his rib and everything else doing these other stuff. And uh, sweating, you know, like crazy inside the flash suit. And there it is in Orlando at Planet Hollywood. So the next time you see that uh, and you're in there and you say, hmm, that's probably all full of sweat <laughs> from John Wesley Ship." So uh, it's really fun listening to to people talk about those things uh, that, that go on behind the scenes and find out all they go through to give us a good quality show that we can enjoy and uh, let's see that's about it for episode 40 coming up next on episode 41 we're going to have another great guest for you won't tell you who it is yet but uh, i think you're going to enjoy it a lot and until then all i can say is take care <laughs>